All right, time for the kids to come on up front and find a place to sit. Come on up, find a good spot to sit. Plenty of room for everybody. All right, lots of people this morning. Make room for others. Come on up, find a spot. All right, good. Now this morning, I want you to use your imagination with me for a little bit, okay? Imagine that you are in a desert. What is a desert like? It, it's like sand. It's full of sand. Yep, full of sand. What else? Go ahead. Very hot. It's what? Okay, what else? Really dry, really dry and hot, right? Cactuses, yeah. So it's really dry, hot, sandy, right? So imagine you're there, and imagine you've been in the desert for quite a while. You've been in the desert for a while now. How are you feeling? Hot, thirsty, right? Maybe tired out, yeah, right? Okay, now under this box here, I have something that you might be seeking after or looking for if you're in this situation. What do you think might be under the box? What might you be looking for or seeking after if you were in the hot, dry desert? What's that? Better stuff. Okay, good. Yep, you might be looking for that. What else? Jesus, yeah. You'd be praying a lot maybe, right? What else? Choo-choo trains made to get you out of there quick, right? Yeah, is it good? Water, yeah. How about a big glass of water? There you go. A big glass of water would come in handy if you're in the hot, dry desert, right? Now, why would you be seeking after this? Why would you be looking for a glass of water? Because it's hot and you're thirsty, right? You're thirsty. You could use some water to help cool you off and to rehydrate you, get water back in your system, right? Now, how would you go about seeking this water? You're in the middle of a hot, dry desert. Would you be giving a glance and then moving on to something else and then checking out the sand and playing in the sand? Is that how you would look for a glass of water if you were in the hot, dry desert and really thirsty? No, you'd be looking at, you'd be putting all your effort into it, right? You'd be purposeful. That would be your kind of main focus, right? You'd put lots of effort into finding this water for you to drink. You'd be putting all of your energy into finding this water to help satisfy that thirst, right? So let me talk, uh, read a verse for you in Psalm 63 that will help tie this together. This is a psalm that David wrote, King David. And he wrote this, Psalm 63, verse 1. He said, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And so in this psalm David was writing, he was seeking after God with all he had within him, right? As if he was in the desert looking for water. All of his attention, all of his energy went into seeking after God. And that's how we should be seeking after God, too. No matter what's going on in our lives, whether it's good or bad, we need God. We need to know Him more and more. We need more of Him in our lives. So we need to seek after Him, seek to know Him. So just like David, 
We need to seek after God with everything we have, just like we would a glass of water in the middle of the desert. So we need to have seeking after God as our main focus, right? We need to be purposeful about it, put all of our energy and attention into it, right? We seek God through prayer and Bible study, Bible reading, those kind of things. But we need to put lots of effort into seeking after God to know Him. So the Bible tells us that God is near. Did you know that? Right? God is big and huge because He's created the whole universe. But the Bible says that God is near to us and that when we seek after Him, that we find Him. We can know this almighty, great, and glorious God, we can know Him. Hebrews 6, uh, excuse me, Hebrews 11, uh, 6 tells us that God rewards those who seek Him. So there's blessings when we seek after God, blessings in knowing Him. So for each one of us, let's be sure that we are seeking after God with all our effort, getting to know Him more and more and growing in Christ. Sound good? All right, thanks for coming up. You can go back and have a seat. All right, we are in the book of Second Chronicles this morning. Uh, we'll be in parts of chapter 12 through 15 and maybe 16. So Second Chronicles, a bit before Psalms, if you're familiar. If you're in Genesis, you've got a little ways to go. Second Chronicles 12 will begin in. Uh, so we are... I'm going to do a few weeks here on preparing us to move, uh, trying to look at Scripture and help prepare us for how we should go about this. Jesus said, everyone who has been given much, much will be required, and to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. So in this building uh, blessing, God has given us much, and so much will be required of us. I want us to consider in the next few weeks, what does it look like for us to be faithful in this? Last week, we looked at Psalm 127 and dependence on God. We want to go about this move in a way that shows real dependence on Him, not depending on our thinking or on our strength, but on God. This week, Second Chronicles 12 to 15, seeking the Lord with all of our hearts. Uh, Rehoboam in Second Chronicles 12 uh, was established by God, he was made strong by God and prosperous, and he abandoned the Lord. He was given a lot, and instead of proving faithful with it, he just became heartless towards God. On the other hand, Asa uh, sought the Lord and led God's people to seek the Lord with all their hearts. That's what I want to do for us this morning as we consider this new building. I want it to motivate you not to be like Rehoboam and stop seeking the Lord, but instead be like Asa and seek him with all your hearts. Let me read. I'm going to read uh, chapter 12, or chapter 12, verses 1 and 14, and then all of chapter 15. So chapter 12, verses 1 and 14, all of 15. When the rule of Rehoboam was established and he was strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord in all Israel with him. And he did evil, for he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. Now, chapter 15. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. 
For a long time, Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him. He was found by them. In those times, there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in, for great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. They were broken to pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every sort of distress. But you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your hands shall be rewarded. As soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Oded, he took courage and put away all the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim and Manasseh and Simeon who were residing with them for great numbers had deserted to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord your God was with them. They were gathered at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of the reign of Asa. They sacrificed to the Lord on that day from the spoil that they had brought 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. And they entered into covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. But that whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, should be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. They swore an oath to the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting, with trumpets, and with horns. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath. For they had sworn with all their heart, and had sought him with their whole desire, and he was found by them. And the Lord gave them rest all around. Even Maka, his mother, King Asa removed from being queen mother because she had made a detestable image for the Asherah. Asa cut down her image, crushed it, and burned it at the brook Kidron. But the high places were not taken out of Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true all his days. And he brought into the house of God the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels. And there was no more war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. Let's pray. Father, the Lord, you are the Lord, and the earth is full of your steadfast love. Because of this, O oh God, please teach us your statutes. Teach us your word now by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so a bit of background, if I can. Um, we have to start with Israel. This is written to Israel. If you know Israel's story, they uh, were enslaved in Egypt for several hundred years. God came and delivered them by his great power through amazing signs and wonders out of Egypt, destroyed Egypt and led them to this land that he had promised to them centuries before to Abraham. In Genesis 12, God promised to give them this land and prosperity with it. They found themselves in Egypt. God delivered them, and he delivered them to this land. And one of the things we learn is that God didn't do this for them because they were anything. In Deuteronomy 9, if you would turn there, just to get some background here, um, in Deuteronomy 9, 6 and 7, so Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible, it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because, you, because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Right? Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. 
From the day you came out of the land until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. So God didn't give all of this blessing to them because of them. We, We call this grace. This is the truth of God from beginning to end. God gives us all of these blessings just because he, of who he is in grace. Not because of our goodness, not because of our righteousness, not because of our obedience. Israel is the test case. We read here that from the very beginning until this time, they have been nothing but rebellious, and yet God graciously gave them a fulfillment of the promises. Now, also in Deuteronomy, if you flip back a couple chapters to chapter 6, Israel is warned that when they come into this promised land, into this blessing, into this prosperity, that they take care not to abandon the Lord, not to become fat cats who get lazy and slovenly and start seeking after other gods. In Deuteronomy 6, we read this, and when the Lord your God brings you, in verse 10, into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you are eat, and when you eat and are full, <clears throat> listen to this, then take care, lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of the slavery. It is the Lord your God that you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Right? Again, in, in chapter 8, we read the same thing. Verse 1, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness and that he humbled you, testing you what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed with manna that you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Right? Verse 4, your clothing did not wear out. Verse 5, God has been disciplining you. Verse 6, so keep the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his way. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of water and fountains and springs and valleys and hills and wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates and olives and honey, a land in which you will eat without scarcity. You'll lack nothing. And then here, verse 10 and 11, and you shall eat and be full and You shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you. Lest when you've eaten and are full and have built good houses to live in them, when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, that you have multiplied, that your heart not be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. And so God gave these promises. He gave them these warnings that when they had everything that God had promised, that they would not forget him and abandon him. God fulfilled these promises, and he gave them the land. David was king. They were reigning. They had conquered all their enemies. The land was theirs. They were building cities, planting crops and growing them. God gave them great things. And then Solomon, David's son, came, and Solomon was the wealthiest, most powerful king in all the earth. God prospered him greatly. And then uh, Rehoboam, Solomon's son, who we met in chapter 12, is the uh, fourth king. Saul, then David, then Solomon, then Rehoboam. And under Rehoboam, Rehoboam followed bad advice, and he treated the people harshly, and the kingdom was split. Jeroboam took the northern part of Israel, 
Rehoboam now Solomon's son. The line of David is king of the southern part over Judah and Benjamin and so on. And, uh, uh, and, and, and Rehoboam has been established and now he's strong. So Rehoboam is foolish. Right? He was foolish. The kingdom was divided. Civil war. And then we see also another folly of Rehoboam. Look up in chapter 11. Uh, verse 16. So just, just get this. God has given them all that they wanted. They're wealthy and prosperous and in peace. The kingdom is divided. The northern part under Jeroboam. And under Jeroboam, idolatry happened. Jeroboam was afraid that Israelites would leave the northern part and go to the southern to worship God. And so he created false places of worship with idols. And... Uh, the faithful Israelites in the northern part left, as we see in, in verse 16 of chapter 11, those that set their hearts to seek the Lord their God came after them from all the tribes of Israel to Jerusalem, to the south, to sacrifice the Lord, the God of the Father. So they strengthened the kingdom. So Rehoboam was foolish, and yet God prospered him. And how he prospered him was all of the faithful, godly Israelites left Israel, immigrated to the south, and made the south secure and prosperous and strengthened them. And then in chapter 12, verse 1, we read this sad note. And when the rule of Rehoboam was established and he was strong, and he was strong, remember, not because of anything he had done. He was foolish. Yet God strengthened with faithful, godly men and women who left idolatry to go to the south. And so he's sitting on all of that grace. He's sitting in all the prosperity of his father. He's sitting in all the grace of God and all these faithful believers coming. He, he, he's sitting on just a pile of grace. And what does he do? He abandoned the law of the Lord and he led all Israel after him. So, Partly what I want to say in this sermon, don't do that. Right? Amen, have a good week. Right? Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't think in God blessing us as he's blessed us that it's because of us. Don't think that in all of this blessing that you have a heart that is any better than Rehoboam. You will be just as tempted, we will be just as tempted as they were to take this prosperity and this security and think it's because of us and stop seeking God. So that's Rehoboam. Now Asa, we're going to skip Abijah, chapter 13, and skip over to Asa. So now Asa, who again is in the line of David, I don't know, David's great-great-great-great-grandson or something like that. I didn't figure out the number of greats. He's a few after. Uh, Asa's a good king in verse 2. Asa did was right and good in the eyes of the Lord. He took away all idolatry. And in verse 4, he commanded Judah to seek the Lord. So in chapter 12, we read of Jeroboam's folly. And in verse 14, it says, he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. And now Asa's different. 
Asa commanded Judah to seek the Lord. Now, Asa ran into some trouble. He had peace. Uh, but then in verse 9, Zerah the Ethiopian came against Asa and Judah with a million men. So just before that, we see that Asa has about five, almost 600,000 and an army of a million comes against them. And in verse 11, Asa cries out to the Lord, O Lord, there is none like you. Help us, O Lord. And God defeated the Ethiopians. Right after that then, this prophet Azariah comes with this message. And the, and the message in sum is, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. And Asa hears the words, he takes courage, he removes all the idols, he gathers all the people, and in verse 12, they enter in this covenant, and the covenant at heart is this. We are covenanting together to seek the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul. Completely opposite in Rehoboam. He gathers all of God's people, and they are coming together with one purpose, that we are going to commit to seek the Lord with all of our heart and all of our soul. You'll notice the extent that Asa follows through with. He even kicks his mom out. I love it. Not, not, not for, I love that my mom's here. I would, <laughs> but, uh, um, what I mean is, Jesus said... You cannot be my follower unless you hate your father and mother and brother and sister and even your own life. This is what he meant. That when you have people who are unwilling to repent of great wickedness and who are opposing the things of God, you can't say you love God if you're not willing to oppose them. And Asa is willing to go that far. He's not just a king telling people what to do and then doing opposite. He is seeking the Lord with all of his heart Case in point, when his mom refuses, he removes his mom from being queen mom. That, that's what we're talking about. And you'll notice then, what does God do in response to them seeking? Verse 19, there is no more war. Peace. God blessed Judah with peace and prosperity, defeated their enemies because they sought the Lord. There's so much to apply here. All right, everybody tracking? You hear it? Know where I'm going? So let, let me just apply this in one, two, three, four, five, maybe six ways. Uh, first, as I've already said, all that we have, all that we have been given, all that we are, is only by grace. It's not because we're so great. It's not because God is looking at all the churches in the Northwood and Pine Grove catches his eye and he's going to pour out his blessing on us because we're just a cut above the rest. You guys know you're as rebellious as everybody else. You know that you are twisted and tempted and willing to Turn from God. You know your life. It is simply because God is a God of grace. Everything that we have, this new building, people coming, it is all grace. 
We must get this drilled into our thick skulls. And, and the evidence that you know it's all grace is that you respond to all of these blessings with thankfulness. Whenever you stop responding to God's blessings with heartfelt, I can't believe you would give this to somebody like me kind of gratitude, you know that you have subtly, internally begun to be convinced that you deserved it, that you earned it. Grumbling people are prideful people. People who grumble think that God owes them. And when they don't get it, they grumble. Grateful people know they don't deserve anything. And so anything that God gives them, they're just, wow, kind of people. That's why we sang the first song we sang this morning. And can it be? How, How could we get this? That should be our response because everything that we're given is grace. That's first. Second, this is going to get a little technical and theological here. You and I must, must, must know the difference between justification and sanctification. It is essential to what we're reading here. Justification is God gives you forgiveness and the righteous record of Christ That is, he saves you not because of anything about you. You didn't earn salvation. You didn't qualify for it. You didn't even apply for it. You and I are acceptable to God eternally all because of what Christ has done and nothing of you. All you brought to the equation is sin, is rebellion, is the wickedness. And God has counted you righteous in Christ, justified you. He has legally declared you innocent of all wrong and always right with Christ's righteousness, owing nothing to you. That's true. That's unchangeable. That is something that God has decreed in heaven in Christ. It is eternal. Nothing can separate you from that. Nothing can change that. Nothing can make that better. Nothing can make that worse. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus because it's in Christ Jesus. It's not in you. You get that? All this language in the Bible that's in Christ Jesus means ultimately it's not in you. It's in Christ. Where is Christ? He's in heaven. Your righteousness in heaven, it can't be changed, it can't be altered. That's justification. That's unmovable, it's, in, it's unchangeable, nothing can affect it. It's yours, it's grace. Now, those whom God justifies, he's also going to sanctify. That is, he's going to help you to become what you already are. He has counted you righteous in Christ, and now he is, in your life, over time, going to actually cause you to grow to be more righteous. You are counted as if you're never a liar, and then God is actually going to functionally grow you to quit lying. He has counted you as a child perfectly obedient to your mom and dad, and he is actually going to functionally grow you to actually become obedient to your mom and dad, and in a million other ways. Now, whereas justification doesn't change, God's acceptance of you will never change, God's love for you will never diminish, never increase, because it's true, it's in Christ. In sanctification, God's blessings and rewards depend on our 
behavior. We see that throughout this text. God um, blesses them with peace and prosperity because they sought him. Now, that seeking him isn't justification, is my point. God has already accepted them. God has already saved them. And now they're to respond to God's saving work by faith with faith-filled, spirit-powered obedience. And in the sanctification, growing sense, father-child sense, our behavior, our seeking of the Lord matters. Let me put it in another context. You've heard the term covenant before in the Bible? When God came to Israel and entered into a covenant with them, he didn't come to Israel and enter into a covenant with them because he was so impressed with Israel and nobody else. God brought them out of Egypt, brought them to the mountain where he made covenant with them just because he wanted to, because he was gracious and loving. But in the covenant, he gave them stipulations. He welcomed them, he accepted them all by grace, owing nothing to them. But once he accepted them then, he has stipulations in the covenant. We know ten of them. Summarized in two. Love the Lord God, the heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love the neighbors yourself. And their blessing depended on their willing to faithfully obey the stipulations. And that's exactly what we see going on here. Your good works play no part in justification. But your good works play a part in sanctification sense of blessing or cursing. The same way in your household, right? When you have a child, they are your child simply because they are. None of their behavior, nothing can change that. You accept your child just because you're their father or mother and you love them irregardless. But you know as well as I do, their behavior matters on how much blessing or cursing they get. If you have a child that's proven faithful and obedient, they're a sinner, but overall they're faithful and wanting to be obedient, you give that child more, more responsibility, more blessing. If you have a child who is stubborn and rebellious and constantly uses what you've given them for evil, you give them spankings and you remove responsibility and you remove blessing. It's not affecting your father-mother-parent relationship, but it is affecting what you give and what you withhold. God is no different. So, brothers and sisters, God has saved you all of grace. It's nothing of you. And yet, as a church, as a family, as an individual, we want God's blessing. And the way we do it is by faithful, growing, repenting, day in, day out, faithfulness to the little things. To the little things. As you think about going to a new building, God blessing us with that, our response should not be like Rehoboam, but like Asa. We want to seek him all the more. Because we have tasted God's good blessing for our little, little obediences, and let's grow in it then. Let's grow in it then. So what I'm saying is, 
God has saved you in Christ. You didn't earn that. That's all gift. And now we want to respond to it by seeking him with obedience to his word in a sanctification sense that he might bless us all the more. So that's point number two. That's point number two. Number three, in uh, verses 15 to nine, or in chapter 15, verses 1 to 19, you see this preacher come. Right? We see in, in uh, uh, verses 1 to 7 this little sermon. The Spirit comes on this guy, Azariah, and he comes and he preaches. He brings God's word and he preaches. And the people respond the preaching of God's word by faithfully repenting, removing the idols, and committing themselves again anew to seek the Lord. One of the things that we must do as we go to the new building is continue to respond to God's word preached like that. This is the main thing God has given you in your life to grow as a Christian. The preaching of God's word, which is the first half of the equation, and the faithful responding to it, which is the other half. We have to do both right. We have to continue to commit, as we move to a new building, to preaching God's word zealously, as it stands, never being embarrassed by anything, pulling no punches, and then you must respond receiving God's word with faith, eagerly, open-heartedly, willingly taking God's word as it stands and saying, I don't care what the world says. I don't care what my spouse says. I don't care what anybody says. This is what God's word says. I'm responding to it by faith. That's what they did here. We can't stop doing that, brothers and sisters. That is the thing that the church is abandoning over and over and over again in our time. They refuse to hear God's word as it stands. And preachers capitulate, wanting to itch ears, wanting to please people, wanting to keep butts in the seats, wanting to keep money in the coffers by softening God's word. And you and I must refuse to do that if we want God's blessing. That's where you say amen. And I'm serious here. We cannot back off of this, brothers and sisters. We can't go to a new building and say, now we're in town. Now we got a bigger mortgage. We got to get people in here. And some of you are going to be tempted to say, don't say that. You're going to offend somebody. Don't say that. You're going to turn somebody away. Don't, we can't do that. That's worldly carnal thinking. That is to fear what people think more than what God thinks. We're going to be tempted like that. We must not yield. Think of Peter and Jesus. Jesus comes with God's word, that he is going to uh, be uh, arrested, betrayed, uh, beaten up, and ultimately killed on the cross. And what does Peter come and do? No, no. <laughs> uh-uh. You're God's son. And that's not going to happen to you. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. We, we don't want to play Peter in this instance. We want to take the hard things of God's word, the suffering of God's word, and, and, and say yes and amen. That's number three. Number four, we want to seek the Lord. That's what's at the heart of these chapters. Rehoboam doesn't seek the Lord. He leads Israel away from seeking the Lord. Asa seeks the Lord. He leads God's people to seek the Lord. We need to commit to doing that. And I want to challenge you that this means in the little things. 
We can all get this grandiose notion that we're going to seek the Lord. We're going to do great things with the Lord. And we don't do all the little seeking of the Lord, all the little things. And, and we convince ourselves that we'll do the big things even though we're not going to do the little things. What I mean by little things, I mean by faithfully attending worship and hearing God's word. I mean by singing. I mean by often during the week opening your Bible and reading God's word. I mean by seeking the Lord and when you come up against something in God's word that you're not doing, that you desire to be obedient to it, and you actually do. I mean by parents continuing to do family devotions. I mean when your child sins and they disobey you, that you actually continue to spank them. I mean by seeking the Lord in the little things. All right? So a few things about seeking the Lord. Uh, you note this, this heart language. In 12.14... Rehoboam did not set his heart to seek the Lord. Uh, in chapter 15, uh, verse 12, they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul. One thing is, this is a willful choice they're making. Our world today is convincing you that things of the heart, you're uh, like a victim. You don't have control over it. You don't have control over your affections. I'm just born that way or whatever. But we see in Scripture that there is a willful setting of the heart to something. It's a choice they're making. And I want to urge you to willfully choose to serve the Lord with all of your heart. Now, notice the, uh, the scope of it. All. You might remember that Jesus said that we are to love the Lord God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. He's talking about all that you are, the totality of you. Don't withhold anything from the Lord. You're not seeking the Lord unless you're all in. And one of the temptations to you doing that is going to be prosperity. Jesus told the parable in Mark 4 where God's word is being preached and it takes a little root in some people because of cares of the world, because of riches, the deceitfulness of riches, their heart becomes hard to God's word. See that in Rehoboam. When he was established and strong, he became the fat cat. His heart became hard to seeking God. In First John, it's the deceitfulness of riches, the pride of eyes that causes us to love the things of the world rather than God. We must... Be all in towards God. We must have all of our heart loving God. Nothing in reserve, nothing held back. It is God all the time. He is our everything. That is, don't go through the motions. We have a lot of young children here being raised in the Lord. You heard it in the um, children's time, right? One of the kids gave the answer, Jesus. We should love that. They are being taught, raised, to know that Christ is the answer to every question even when it's not the answer to the question. That's wonderful. But kids, you being raised in Christian homes, one of the temptations you're going to face is just to go through the motions. You've been raised in this. You go to church every Sunday, a good church, preaching the gospel, singing the gospel, willing to disciple and discipline. You're at home, hopefully having the Bible reading time. Their children, your parents are disciplining, and you're going to be tempted just to go through the motions your entire life. That is not seeking the Lord with all your heart. You have to own this. You have to seek the Lord with all your heart. 
It can't just become something you do. It's who you are. You've got to seek the Lord with all your heart. And we need you to do it, young people. The reason we're moving in this building is for the generations to come. It's not for us. And the people who are paying for all this, they're going to be dead. <laughs> this is for the next generations. You've got to own this. I'm not lying. Right? We're going to do a lot of funerals over there. <laughs> hmm. Uh, third thing about seeking the Lord, not only you have to, it's a willful choice, not only do you have to do it with all your heart, it's going to have to cost you. You see the cost that they paid here? Look at chapter 15. And they got rid of their idols. You, you have idols. You have things that you love more than God. You have things that you seek as if they're God. You have things that control you as if they're God. Right? Some of you, it's, Naked images on a computer screen. Some of you, it's your work. You get all your value, all your worth through your work. Some of you, it's your kids. How successful they are, what kind of college degree they get, what they're doing in this world. And some of it's what you look at in the mirror, your external beauty. Some of it's what you eat, what you don't eat, which I think is even crazier. You think you're so good because you don't eat things. Eat a Twinkie, you'll be happier. Right? 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 Are you willing to, to crucify those idols? Are you willing to lose them? If you're not, you are not seeking the Lord with all your heart. Are you willing to be disapproved by family and friends like Asa did with his mom? Are you willing to lose reputation for Christ? It's going to cost you. The people in Israel in chapter 11, they lost their homes. They left their homes to move to another place where God was being worshipped rightly. Isn't that awesome? Seeking the Lord is going to cost you. It, it should cost you. All right, so that's seeing the Lord. I think I'm on number four now as far as applying to us. We see in chapter 12, verse 1, that Rehoboam abandoned the law of the Lord while Asa taught God's people to be obedient to. And I just want to say seeking the Lord does mean growing in eager, faithful obedience to every word that God has spoken. Jesus said in Matthew 28, Go therefore make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. Seeking God means you are willing to become obedient to everything that God has commanded us. You know that in our world, the pressure is mainly on, on this issue of male, female, and on sexuality. That's where the pressure is on for us. Are we going to be able to continue to say that, no, there, are, there is such a thing as male and female, and that males and females, while being both created in God's image, equal for God, are very different. And they're even different in what God has called them to do in the society, in the church, in the home. And are we going to willing to continue to say that men should only get married to women, and women should only get married to men, and only one? And that any kind of sexual activity is only permitted within that. 
that's where the pressure is going to be on. Are we going to continue to be willing to say, you know, a man should be the head of his wife and a wife should be submissive to her husband? Are we going to continue to say that, no, a man should work and provide for his family and a wife is, according to the second, called to work at home and to serve her husband and her children? We need to continue to have eager obedience to that. Lastly, Seeking the Lord means that we worship Him with zeal. Look at the worship that they have in verses 11 to 15 of chapter 15. They worship Him with zeal, with rejoicing. Seeking the Lord means you... I want to talk to the men here. Alistair Begg is a pastor, um, and this is many years ago. I couldn't even find the sermon. He was preaching about baptism. I love it. Uh, and he was exhorting the men in their congregation who refused to be baptized. And he was saying, women are willing to be baptized, young boys and girls are willing to be baptized, but you, you men won't be baptized. And, he said, and then he said, you know why that is? And he's, I don't know, is he from Ireland or Scotland, something like that? He's got that cool accent. He said, because you're all wimps. <laughs> because you don't have any zeal for the Lord. Right? We need the men of our church to worship the Lord with zeal. To not be embarrassed of what your wife is thinking or what others are thinking. We need you as men to lead us to worship the Lord with heart, with all that you are. It doesn't mean you gotta raise your hands. It doesn't mean you gotta please don't dance. We just we just need to see that that this matters to you more than anything else in your life. Your kids need to see that. Right? Our, our community needs to see that. Visitors who come here need to see men pray with heart, read scripture with heart, sing with heart, attentively have God's word open on their lap, eagerly paying attention to it with all their heart. You might notice in this chapter, a man led Israel away from the Lord and a male led them to worship the Lord. We need men. I believe this is one reason God's blessing us because we've had this. And we do not want to grow lax in it, man. We want to do it all the more. Lastly, let's remember God's response to seeking. He responds with rest and peace and prosperity. It's not the prosperity gospel. God is not a vending machine. Sometimes God responds with discipline, with hard things. But generally, God responds to his people's faithfulness with blessing. And it's all grace. You know we don't deserve it. Let's pray. Father, we earnestly desire to be like Asa and Judah, not at all like Rehoboam. So please forgive us for not setting our hearts to seek you. And God, may we set our hearts to seek you with all of our heart, with all of our soul especially where it costs us, God. And so, God, please do it. Do it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So the charge is this. Remember that seeking the Lord begins with Christ. That is, you are in Christ, and so God is your God. We must seek the Lord, but we must first do so first knowing that he sent his Son who came and bled and died to remove our sins so we might come to God. And his work is finished. And so the way to see God is by beginning with the gospel, which is ours. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. 
And may your whole spirit and soul and body and heart be preserved completely without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and so he will bring it to pass. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord.